Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 150. I am so happy to have hit this milestone. It feels like just yesterday we put up episode number 100. We are moving quickly and we are putting together some really, really special content here. This episode is no exception. I am so pleased to say that Emily Silverman is joining me for her second time on Explore the Space. Emily is an internal medicine physician in San Francisco, and she is the creator and host of The Nocturnist, which is a live show and podcast of physicians sharing their stories from the world of medicine. If you've been lucky enough to go to a live show, you know how amazing this is. If you've listened to the Nocturnist podcast, same. If this is your first exposure, you're going to love the Nocturnist universe. It is on a rocket ship to the moon. It is so wonderful. And we get to talk about the growth of this project and how it is welcoming non-physicians and physicians into a whole new aspect of this incredible profession that we love. We also got to spend some time talking about something that I'm also really excited about. Emily and I are collaborating on a live show. We are going to take the stage at the Gray Area Theater in San Francisco on Friday night, October 18th. There is a link in the show notes to buy tickets. If you are in the Bay Area, please come. It's going to be an amazing night. I can't wait. I know Emily's excited. It's going to be really special, really unique, and just a ton of fun. This conversation is also a ton of fun. Before we get to it, I want to ask you to all please take a look at the show notes. They're a little bit different. I've added a few new links, a few new tweaks and touches to make it a little bit more robust. I'd love to get your feedback and see what you think. So please do take a look. Definitely subscribe to Explore the Space on your favorite platform or wherever you download podcasts. If you have a chance to leave us a rating and a review, it really helps us out. You can email me as well anytime, mark at Explore the Space Show. I'm very active on social media. Hit me up on Twitter, please, at ETS Show. And you can also find me on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. All right, that all said, episode number 150. I cannot believe we're here. I cannot wait for the next 50. This is an incredible ride. I couldn't think of a more fun and engaging person to have this conversation with to mark the 150th episode of Explore the Space. So without further ado, Emily Silverman. Emily, welcome back to Explore the Space. This is good. Hi, Mark. It's so good to be back. You're you're back for your second time around, and you're you're here for episode 150. So thank you very much. I know I was so honored to be the 150th uh, episode of of Explore the Space. It's very special. It's very very exciting for me as well. So thank you. So let's let's start where we. I think we need to start with something that we have coming up and. It's so fun how these things just play themselves out and work themselves out as far as timing. I did not set this up so that you would absolutely be guest 150, but it's just perfect timing and it's a perfect synchronicity for you and I to talk a little bit about a collaboration that we're doing. We're going to do a live show together in October. Yes, we're doing a collab. A collab, that's right. We are going to do a topic that I love and have spent... Even before I started doing Explore the Space, a lot of time thinking about this idea of getting out of the comfort zone. And I'll just share one of the reasons that I think I started this podcast in the first place was taking something like this on was way out of my comfort zone. What is this topic? What is this theme of getting out of your comfort zone? What does it mean for you? Because for me, it's, it's a real pillar of life. It is a pillar of life, and I think it's a pillar of 
medicine on yeah. so many levels. Yeah. I, I think there's the, the sort of concentric circles of learning where in the middle, there's the comfort zone. And then the next ring is the stretch zone. And then the ring outside of that is the panic zone. And I think in medicine, very little time is spent in the comfort zone, actually, from the time that you're a medical student, you're just sort of thrown in the deep end and constantly doing and seeing things that you've never done or seen before. And, uh, on your clinical rotations, you're always in the stretch zone, especially, you know, third year and fourth year, like four weeks on OBGYN. And just when you're getting the swing of it, they pick you up and they plop you into a different rotation and you're just kind of always out of your comfort zone. Um, and so I think that's true even in residency, the first time you do a procedure, the first time you lead a family meeting, um, you just have to learn how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's just a part of um, going through medical training. And then I think for me, a lot of it has been about stepping outside of the prescribed narrative of what doctors, especially doctors in academic medicine, are supposed to do. I think like a lot of other um, med students and residents, I kind of thought that I needed to have bench basic science experience, uh, experience. And I spent a summer working in a basic science lab and very quickly realized that that was not my calling. Um, and then in residency, I almost embarked on this big clinical research project, which, you know, I had an amazing mentor and everything, but I, my heart just wasn't in it. And when I realized that what I wanted to do was something that falls outside the bounds of what is traditionally done, it was very uncomfortable. I had to show up to these work in progress sessions with my peers who are all doing, you know, traditional clinical research studies and QI and things like that and stand up and say, I'm going to build a storytelling event, which was like pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I definitely felt a little bit like the odd person out, but I think, um, and, and continuing as the nocturnist is growing, I've had to make forays into all of these different worlds that I didn't even know existed, like the world of media and radio and development and fundraising, and also just kind of what is it like to start a nonprofit and be the leader of a organization? Um, you know, I've been a leader on the wards, like I've been a senior resident leading a wards team, but being the leader of a small media organization is a completely different thing and kind of balancing all the different personalities and the desires and the demands. I just, I feel like this whole um, journey with the nocturnist, I've been constantly out of my comfort zone. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like it's very ripe for the plugging for anybody involved in medicine, but definitely has a special resonance with me. There's a couple things that you said that like, I, I literally almost like reeled back. One of them was this idea of the concentric rings where the center is your comfort zone. And your residents, your medical students, they're lucky to have you as a teaching attending. I would have loved to have heard that early in my career. That was awesome. And I'm going to spend some time on that one. I also think that this idea of em embracing the discomfort, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, that's what helps propel these things forward. And it helps us to say, you know, you're not going to throw yourself into a giant flame right out of the gate unless you really have to, but you can progress. You can do things where it's just a little bit and a little bit and build on those successes. And then all of a sudden you're walking out on a stage in front of a bunch of people in San Francisco. There's, there's, right. there's a process to this, right? Or, or is that, 
is that looking at this too dogmatically? Is it is it something where you just wade out slowly? Is it something where you plunge in all the way up to your eyes? Or is it a little of both? I think it's a little of both. I, you know, sometimes when people have a lot of success, usually you hear this in the entertainment industry. Like, for example, the musician Lizzo. I don't know if you know Lizzo or have heard Lizzo um, talk about her journey. But she's this amazing um, woman who produces like amazing, I guess, sort of hip hop slash pop music and has this hit single right now called Truth Hurts, which is such a great song and has all this attitude. And I think it just hit like number one on the billboard or something. And so she's all celebrating and stuff. But if you read interviews with her, that song was actually recorded like three years ago. And initially when she made the song, she looked at the song and was like, look, this is the best song ever. Like (laughs) this is the pinnacle of my talent. Like if this song doesn't take off, then I'm quitting music. Yeah. Yeah. And the song came out and it, it didn't really do well. And I think, um, Part of the reason why is just she, it wasn't the right place. It wasn't the right time. She didn't have that stroke of luck. Um, and I, I always say that success is always a mix of three things. It's talent, which a lot of people have. It's tenacity, which only some people have. And then there's that stroke of luck, which kind of pushes it over the edge. Yeah. And she um, joked about how she was going to quit music, but then she kept up with it and then got lucky. And now she's performing at the VMAs and everybody loves Lizzo. And the song is number one on the billboards. And she says, I'm so glad I didn't give up three years ago because look what happened. And so there's, there's these stories where you look at someone and you're like, Oh my God, they're an overnight success. <laughs> when in reality, they've been busting their ass for, you know, a decade or longer trying to make it. And so I think it's a combination of both where you, you kind of plant the seeds early on and you just tend to them slowly over the course of time. And eventually, if you have the talent and if you have the tenacity, something will sprout somewhere, some someday. And I think you just sometimes have to wait it out. I think it's important to note, though, you know, you and I come at this from the framework. You know, we're both doctors. We practice the same kind of medicine. We're both hospitalists. But th- th- this context setting and these lessons and all this whole idea it has almost, it has as little or as much to do with medicine as any other part of life, whether it's music or relationships or your professional work or sports or anything. I would submit that the same math applies. And I think that that's what makes the topic so inviting as well, that it's open to anybody. Anybody that wants this can go get it. Anybody that wants to get out of their own comfort zone can do it. And what you just laid out, it's not just for docs. It's for anyone who feels like they need to start working through those different rings in their own kind of personal sphere. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. It's it's generalizable. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> as, generalizable. Uh, as a researcher might say, very yeah, generalizable. Been, <laughs> God, you just took me. But back. I, but I think I think the reason that it feels more pronounced in medicine is just that the stakes are so high. Like, oh, that's a good you point. Know, if you if you want to build, um, I don't know, if you want to build furniture, let's say, and you want to build rocking chairs and, you know, you're thinking about building up the confidence and taking the risk and doing the investment, like there's a lot at stake in the sense that it's your passion and it's your carpentry skills and so on and so forth. But when you're a medicine resident who's about to, like, put in their first LP needle, um, 
I think that's why there's so many TV shows about medicine. It's just yeah. the stakes are a little bit higher, like when you're dealing with bodies and other people's, you know, well-being. Yeah. So I think definitely that that sense of discomfort feels ratcheted up in the healthcare setting because if you mess up, theoretically, um, the outcome carries more weight. Although I will say, it took me a while to realize this, but <laughs> there's a lot more wiggle room in medicine than I initially thought. Like I used to think when I overdiarrhea someone and that the creatinine bumped, that that was like an error that I had made and <laughs> right. I would go home and I would feel all guilty about it. And now I'm realizing like, no, actually that's just, that's data. That's you use that data to yeah. then frame what you do next. And it's that's right. just kind of, that's what it is. But, yep. um, yep. Not, which is not to say that there aren't like real medical errors, but, um, yeah, I think sometimes the stakes feel higher, maybe even higher than they really are. So you said something there that I think informs why I'm excited about October 18th, but also informs the success of the Nocturnus and informs your success, which is there is this attractiveness about learning about medicine. I think that, that this comes from a couple places, and I want to bounce these ideas off of you of why there's a draw to this. I think that there's a mystery where now people get that idea that they really get to look under the hood or look behind a curtain and hear things that they've never really heard before, especially in the world of the Nocturnus, where it's physicians being really honest and transparent about things both good and bad. I think the technology is just super sexy and people like to hear about all the wild things that we do. And then I think that there's just that piece that would connect with anything where there's just a, a certain level of when someone is sharing and you can feel that they're sharing honestly and openly, that that draws in a, it's just a, it, it draws humans together, that that's a shared experience that people want to participate in. But you've done a lot of this. What, what is your sense of the draw? What is the way I've framed it? How does that resonate with you? Why medicine uh, in particular is so compelling? Yeah. Why it's such a draw. Why, why the Nocturnus is growing like this, why your live shows are selling out on both coasts. Why, is this and, and like you said, medical dramas on TV are always popular. Why? Why is that dynamic there? Yeah, I think I don't know. To go back to a different set of concentric circles, uh, I don't know why today is like concentric circle day <laughs> for me. But um, I think of our audience in concentric circles. Actually, I think uh, in the middle you have physicians or anybody on the continuum of becoming a physician, including medical students. Um, usually the core audience tends to skew a little bit younger people who are facile with their iPhones and who listen to podcasts and who are a part of that generation. Um, particularly I'd say people clustering in the, the med school residency fellowship, um, years where the training, it really is the most dramatic period I feel. Um, but in the ring outside of that, I think it's just healthcare in general, and that could be doctors, that could also be nurses, administrators, physical therapists, other people um, who are involved in healthcare who you know aren't MDs. And then outside, the larger like penumbra of listenership is just the general public, because like we talked about, everyone loves a good doctor story, and I think the success of our program has less to do with that penumbra effect, like, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't think it's really the lay person that's pushing us over the edge so much as it is the fact that there's a culture problem in medicine. Um, and there's also just a lot of structural problems in medicine that lead to a focus on productivity and profit 
over human connection and storytelling that has produced this kind of epidemic of despair among healthcare providers. And when they see this oasis of narrative and connection and storytelling and art and beauty and laughter and irreverence and um, wryness, um, I think it can just feel really liberating. Like you can kind of take off that like professionalism facade, which is not to say that our project is like unprofessional, but I think it does allow a little bit more looseness and a little bit more honesty than maybe uh, operating in the four walls of the hospital does. But I just think that's really tasty. That's really desirable for people. And I think the project um, just struck that nerve. And I think, you know, it's just a side bonus that non-physicians and non-healthcare workers happen to be interested in the stories of doctors just because it is such a high stakes, high drama profession. But I think what's really driving the success and what's driving the movement is people from within the space, people from within healthcare would be my prediction, although I don't have hard data to back that up. I love that answer. And I want to push back. Okay. So here's my pushback. (laughs) I think everything that you said is right. I actually endorse the perspective of physicians and those on the continuum gravitating towards this for all the reasons you laid out. I would submit the thing is going, the thing that is going to bring out Apex Emily Silverman. You just talked about Lizzo saying this is the best it's going to be if this doesn't go. And, and now she's really at the top. And I was thinking, like, are we at Apex Emily Silverman yet? We're probably not, but why? I think here's the answer the rocket fuel for what is going to happen is not going to be more and more doctors and more and more people in healthcare coming aboard with the work that you're doing, it is going to be the general public seeing this and hearing this and saying, we want to participate too. We have learned in the last couple of years that physicians are in an epidemic of despair. We now understand from it being in the popular media that there are tremendous pressures and that physicians are leaving the field and that they commit suicide at a rate five times higher than the general population. We want to participate in this too, because we need you. We can't do without And so we want to hear and learn, not just because it's entertaining, but we want to be a part of the journey too. We want to help support you as well. That is going to be like jet grade fuel for the work that you do. I love that. And and it's really encouraging to hear you say that. I think in the past, my sense has been that doctors generally don't get much sympathy from lay people. And that might be because there was this outdated, this outdated narrative, like think of the physician, what do you think of? And they think of usually like a middle-aged white man living in a McMansion somewhere, like on the golf course, you know? Um, I do know. You're absolutely right. You're hundred (laughs) percent correct. And And you're also correct that that is really outdated. And it's outdated. And, And these days, like, there's a new generation of physicians, um, a lot more diverse, a lot more women, a lot more people of color, bringing a lot more different perspectives. And also, it's just a different ecosystem right now. Medical school is more expensive than it's ever been. People are coming out of their medical training with buckets of debt. Um, the millennial generation as a whole has just kind of been financially screwed. Like there's a lot that's been written about how we can't afford houses and we're still staying on our parents' health insurance. And it's just a different time. And um, I think sometimes that uh, narrative of the, like the privileged physician still gets waved around. And there's also the counter narrative. And I've seen this on Twitter a little bit, um, like 
gosh, I can't remember when it was or who said it, but people were talking about USMLE step one and how the, um, the grading of that like disproportionately impacts where people can apply for residency and people were advocating for the test to change either to stay the same and become pass fail or to switch to how we actually practice in 2019, namely like make it an open book test, like see how people can apply knowledge that they look up on the internet, as opposed to making them memorize like 26 viral, like structures um, for like viruses, you know, which is not how we practice medicine. Um, and there was this like statement put out by, I think some like body or entity that like students, like, why don't the students want to study for the test? Maybe if they got off their iPads and stopped watching Netflix, like they could dedicate themselves to medicine or I'm very familiar with this yeah. because as you said, there was a conversation around Twitter about this. I was in the middle of that yeah. conversation. We did a podcast episode on this conversation with Amy Gardner from Baylor College of Medicine. Yeah. And I remember exactly what you're talking about. It wasn't from some entity. It was from the entity that does the test. It was from the NRMB right. and from USMLE. And they caught hell for it and they deserved it. And I will just say right now, I've invited them to come on my podcast three separate times and discuss it. And they've refused all three times. <laughs> yeah. And I think like doctors aren't, you know, this old paradigm of the rich That's right. white man on the golf course anymore. That's right. But they're also, I think that the narrative that doctors now are entitled millennials who don't care about medicine and are on their iPads watching Netflix all day is also totally false. And That's right. So I think um, if we can get the public on board, and I think this is part of what my show hopes to do is really kind of expose, like, what is it? Who who are doctors today? And, and what is it like to be a doctor today? And what are the stories? What it, What is it like to be on the front lines? How does it affect people's emotions? How does it affect their personal lives? And I, I think and I hope that people might be surprised by what they what they hear because I don't I don't believe the truth falls on either end of the, of that extreme. I think it's much more gray. It's much more nuanced, and it's important that in trying to control that message, we share that message. Right? We tell what is actually happening. That's why. Physicians are more and more, you know, lighting up social media and joining Twitter and Instagram and creating podcasts and now doing live shows on stage where they're sharing stories that in a generation before, like less than a generation before, that would have been anathema. Like that just didn't, that was not done. So I think that you're, yeah, yeah. you're, you're right out on the sharp edge of something that is going to, when we look back on our careers and are kind of ready to hang it up, we're going to look back and it's going to look very, very different. And it's going to look different in no small part because of exactly what you're doing, which is reshaping narrative and letting people who want to come in, come in. Right. Yeah, come in. And I think what you said about the lay public wanting to get involved is really important. But I think it's also really important that doctors advocate for themselves, which there was yeah. that article that came out, Eric Topol's article in The New Yorker recently, Why Haven't Doctors Organized? I think yes, it's great to mobilize the lay public, show them what it's like and have them speak out on our behalf. But I think it's also really important that we figure out how to speak up on behalf of ourselves. Cause yeah. I feel like it's not, it's not part of the culture and, and that needs to change too. I'm glad you brought up that article because Eric Topol is that sort of older archetype. I've had Eric on the show a couple of times. He's really smart, but he is that older archetype, right? He's an older white male physician. So he might fit a stereotype that would say, 
you know, like you just described, someone that's kind of closed off and inaccessible and not interested. He's the most engaged, forward-thinking guy you'd you'd hope to find on social media. Like we learn from him how to kind of do some of this work. But he's also about to step away. He's not going to do this forever. And the generations of physicians and people entering healthcare now, you know, I'm kind of early middle career. You're a little bit, you know, a little bit earlier in your career phase. Like we're going to be doing this for a while. So the stories that are being told yeah. now, that's the reality. Oh yeah, that's the reality. And I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who flirt with the idea of leaving medicine it's every day. Like really? I'll work with, yeah. I'll, I mean, I don't want to like name names, but I have, I have friends from medical school who are now dispersed around the country at various institutions. I've, you know, had people approach me at my own institution and a lot of them, they just say, this is not what I thought it would be. And I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's just, it's just all so broken. And um, I think there's a, there's so much potential for reform and for advocacy and for us to tell our stories. And um, it's just exciting. Uh, I think, as you described this wave of new podcasts and new writers and new advocates on Twitter to see what what the landscape is in 10 and 20 years. I think it's, it is going to look very different and it should. And I, I hope it does. I still get rattled when I hear people say that, like you saying that still rattles me. I, I love my profession. I don't want to leave it. And I also know that I have to have, you know, eyes up and ears open to better understand why so many of my colleagues feel like that and to not close off and say, no, it's great. It's great. It's great. And I have a, I actually have a sense of excitement in doing that because I also know the things that I love about it are not unique to me. They are parts of the profession and I want to be able to propagate that. And that gives me a sense of excitement about doing this show with you and the Nocturnist community on October 18th in San Francisco at the gray area theater. What, <laughs> what about for you? What, what, what do people get to see? What is the feeling like you've done these live shows before it's going to be my first one with you and I cannot wait. What is it like? What happens in that sort of shared communal space where we get together and we tell stories and, and share what it's like? I think a lot happens. I think um, for the storytellers, I've, at past events, they've come to me afterward and said that was one of the most meaningful experiences of my career, even even my life, the opportunity to be able to stand up and share something so personal, but also in a way where I felt coached and supported and, you know, supported by the Nocturnist team, but also supported by the audience. I think the audiences at the Nocturnist are really friendly audiences and they're really rooting for the storytellers. They're on the side of the storytellers and they want them to succeed and they want to laugh. They want to cry. They're invested in the success of the storyteller and you can really feel that. Um, and then I think for the audience, there's just a lot of a lot of um, connection that happens. I think when a story is told and listened to, there's something really magical that happens at the interface between the teller and the listener, where once the story is out, it's, it doesn't belong to the teller anymore in the sense that, you know, a thousand different listeners can listen to the same story and pull out different thoughts and feelings and lessons and connections or even a single listener. I don't know if, have you ever like read a book, like you, you read a book when you're 20 and then you read it again when you're 30 and then you read it again when you're 50. And it's like each time you read it, you, you kind of glean different um, lessons or different um, senses of like, oh, I connect with this aspect of the story. Yes. Even with a Absolutely. single individual. Hard yes. I will share the book with you <laughs> offline. But yes, 100%. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the magic of, of art really. And, um, and then I think there's also something really just exciting about gathering together in a room and sharing that space. Um, I, like we've talked a lot about how relationships have moved on to social media and like younger uh, teenagers are, they're like going out together less. They're like not having sex with each other as much, <laughs> like interacting with each other on their phones and through their phones. And I don't know, I, I view the live shows as a really great opportunity to come together in the flesh and just, um, you can hear the cracking in the person's voice. You can feel the warmth of the person next to you. There's booze, like there's music. It, it feels like a party. It's fun. Um, it's, it's just very different. I think the podcast definitely has its own sense of intimacy. Uh, I think radio and audio is a very intimate medium. I, I think more so than TV um, for sure. But I think live theater, when it's done well, um, there's really nothing like it. So that That's what I'm looking forward to the most because I love public speaking. I love, you know, getting up and giving talks and I love doing my podcast and all of these sorts of things. But this just feels very different. You know, it's people saying Friday night, San Francisco. There's a lot of things I could be doing with my time right now. I'm going to come hang out with you and let's, let's go on a ride together. I cannot wait to help be a part of going on that ride. It just, uh, it feels like the pinnacle of something. I don't know what that is yet, but I cannot wait to get out there. Yeah. Well, it's going to be great. It's going to be really fun. It's, it's definitely a high. I mean, I barely do anything at these shows. I just stand up and say a few words <laughs> at the beginning and then I, I sit down and I get to watch the magic unfold and it's really the storytellers who are making the magic and doing the work. And, um, and every time, uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of the stories in advance cause we have a pretty intense, um, support and coaching process and our storytellers, they deliver audio clips to us in advance. And so a lot of the times I've heard the stories before, Yeah, but you know, with every telling, it feels different. And I think, you know, on the night of it, it's definitely extra charge. So it's exciting. Interesting as well, as you were saying, right, we have all these ways that we collaborate. This is the second time you've been on explore the space. We've talked on the phone and emailed and texted. You and I are going to meet for the first time on October 18th before we take the stage. <laughs> I know, I know. It feels long overdue. Uh, it'll be really nice. I think there's a hashtag for that. It's like met on Twitter and then in real life. Or something. <laughs> that's so we'll perfect. To... Yeah, no, that's great. That's <laughs> great. So we, we've set, we've set the table for this. We're going to have, it's going to be an amazing experience and I can't wait to be a part of it. I'm really grateful to you. You know, I reached out to you and we had, you know, we'd done, we'd had a podcast episode. We'd emailed a little bit and I appreciated you having the growth mindset to say, you know what, let's do this together this sounds like fun and, and to go for it. So I think it's going to be a blast. We're going to have a link on the show notes of where people can go to buy tickets. We're going to be at the gray area theater in San Francisco. It's going to be at October 18th, which is a Friday night. If you happen to be coming to the UCSF update in hospital medicine conference, we're going to be there that night. You can come and hang out with us as well. What other things about the show for someone who might be in the Bay Area, might be in San Francisco, might want to check it out. What else would you say, like, this is going to resonate? You don't even have to be in medicine. Why is this going to resonate? I think it'll be, feel kind of like going out to the theater. It's bring a date, you know, uh, dress up or don't. It's just prepare to have a good time. And I think, you know, I'm excited 
to try out this different format. We've never done this before. Normally we have um, just all stories all night and this will be the first time where we have stories for act one and then for act two, it's going to be a conversation. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great time. You should really come and and check it out. We'd love to have you and, and to meet you and for you to hear the stories. And we will be taking premium selfies with everybody after the show and filling up our Twitter feeds with, <laughs> with the now we've met in real life. Emily, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to do this. I'm so grateful to you for being open to the idea. And I think that October 18th, it's going to be a really special night. So thanks for coming on the show to talk about it. And it's going to be a blast. Thank you. And thank you so much for having such a great show. It's one of my go-tos. And you know, you have such wonderful guests on the show and it's just an exciting space to explore. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get out there together. It's going to be special. And, uh, I'll see you on October 18th. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to explore the space. Visit us on our website, explore and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS show And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.